You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Morning. Great to be back with you guys. It's been a few years. And uh, boy, some of these faces that I have not seen in a long time. Great to see you and those who I haven't had a chance to meet yet. Um, Mark, good to see you. Um, yeah, just uh, kind of a little bit of a family reunion every time I come down here, it feels like. So, well, I want to go ahead and, and jump in. Uh, let me first introduce my son. This is, I brought my son, Andrew, with me. This is my youngest. We have five sons. And he's the youngest one. We've got a year and a half, and we are whoo, in another gear. It's hard to believe, really. Pretty amazing. And um, just really thankful for so many things. Thankful for this place and for Charlotte. I lived down here for uh, 10 years in this area, and so it's uh, always a special place. And all of our kids down here. And, uh, of course, we live about an hour and a half away now. But, all right. Um, well, Lord, what Shelley prayed? Just that you speak to us, and that you would, you would just communicate your heart. And Lord, I see you stir us up. That you would help our minds, help our spirits, give us your perspective. Lord, help us to see the way you see, feel the way that you feel. Lord, have your. Um, just the, the things that are inside of you, God, that you want inside of us, Lord, I ask that you'd put them in there. Even as we were opening up to you earlier and saying, Lord, your, your way, your will, we surrender. Lord, I ask that you'd do that today. And I ask, even as I'm sharing today, that Holy Spirit, you would put ideas, concepts, places, people inside of these who are listening, their hearts, Maybe things brand new they never thought of before. Thank you, Lord, for your creative nature and that you are the creator of everything. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I, I felt like I was kind of torn between a couple of things here this morning, and um, I, I feel like sharing some about some perspective. So perspective is really important. How we see things, how we view things, how we view ourselves, how we view the Lord, what's going on, how we, you know, when you look at the mirror, in the mirror at yourself, how you see yourself, it's, it's actually really more important than you realize. Because if looking in the mirror, it's more about, well, I used to have dark hair and now it's white. I used to have no wrinkles and now they are there. And I see myself aging and then I can co- start comparing myself with, either who I used to be or other people and all this stuff. and But all of those things are a, are a bad perspective. What I really need to be doing is when I look in the mirror, go, the spirit of the living God that created everything lives behind those eyes. God lives on the inside. That's the kind of perspective that I need to have and his ways are higher than my ways, and he lives inside of me, and he wants to do amazing things through me, wants to do amazing things through you, and not be comparing ourselves, not always dwelling in the past, not trying to figure everything out in the future either, but living in him, in him we live and move and have our being. 
And that kind of perspective I need reminded of over and over and over. I don't know about you guys, but I, I need, I need reminders. I need reminders to come back to uh, a center place, to come back to the right way of thinking. And because the world is constantly sending information to you, constantly sending information to you, whether it's comparing, whether it's, um, things that are the exact opposite of the kingdom. And so we have to stay grounded, rooted, centered, like that Christ centered, um, being, have that simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus, which is kind of my motto for our church in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Paul said, I'm, I'm concerned that people would stray away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. So perspective is important. And some of the perspective I want to share today, uh, for some of you that I've known for a long time, you may have heard me talk about some of this before. Um, but it is one of these things that for me is a perspective change that I think about often. Now, I, even last night I was thinking about this before even talking about this, but to see the way that God sees, you know, the distant galaxy, one of the things I love to do, I love the, the, the universe that God made. I have these big, huge binoculars. Uh, the house we bought has a hot tub, had it when we moved in. I wasn't sure how much we'd use it. We use it all the time. We sit out there, there's no phones in our hands, and you, what you see is stars. And I know where the, the big dipper is going to be. We were looking at Vega the other night. I'm always looking straight when I sit in my little seat in my hot tub. There's Polaris, the North Star. I'm looking up at the cloud formations and the birds, and we talk, and I get a, a glimpse, just a little glimpse of a little bit of what God made. And my perspective can change based on the largeness of the vastness of what he's made rather than the smallness of what the problems are in my life. To look at what he made. I love staring at creation. I really love staring at creation. All the things that he's made. And, and then you realize that all the way down to the DNA, to the atom level inside of our bodies, God is... He's so big, but he's also so interested in the smallest of small, the things that we're only now discovering that make up the DNA strand of this incredible, mind-blowing. How anybody cannot believe in God is amazing to me. That takes, really does take huge faith in a different direction to believe that there's no God. But this perspective about God and the life that we get to live and what he's made isn't just... Uh, to see what he's made creatively, but I also think it has to do with time and the importance of your life, of your breathing, of you being here. That is important. Psalm 139 verse 16 says this, you know the scripture, I'm sure. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. So before I was formed, before you were formed, in your mother's womb, when God knit you together and made you spectacularly, a baby being born is one of the greatest miracles of all time. But before you were formed, it says here, in your book were all written the days that you ordained for me. There's a book with your name on it that has all the days that you would ever live before you were formed. 
in heaven. Have you ever considered that? You already, it's an autobiography in some sense, in some sense. But it's a book about you and every day that you live before you breathe your first breath. That's perspective that God has. His perspective is different than ours. We see from here forward. And maybe some of our past, God is seeing way before, writes in a book all the days that you would live, everything that would happen, it's all written down. Wouldn't you like to see in heaven and take that book out or someone else's and read what that says? I don't know if you've ever thought about those type of things. I want to tell you a couple of quick stories. Um... My grandfather, uh, who died about 16, 17 years ago, he was in World War II, and he was on the, a ship called the USS Portland. He was a gunner on a five-inch five gun. And one experience that they had there were that they realized they had torpedoes coming at their ship, three of them from Japanese submarines, Nearly simultaneously. And all three, this is documented, you can read about this, all three torpedoes hit the ship. And they went ding, ding, ding. Not one of the three detonated. That same grandfather, of course, he was this in World War II, meaning this was before he was married and before my mom was born, therefore before I was born. He came home from the war after he survived that, didn't know the Lord, didn't have a relationship with the Lord until he was in his 80s, actually. Came home, was a drunkard, um, wrecked every car they ever owned. One day gets in a car, takes off, uh, drunk, and runs this car off the road into a tree. Back then, the windshields were different. Now they break into a, a million little pieces, Right? tempered glass. They didn't have those, that kind of glass then. And when he, he put his head through the windshield, also wasn't wearing a seatbelt and it severed his jugular. But he was out in a country, in the country, kind of a country road where he did this. It was at about two in the morning and the noise of that crash woke up the one person who was living close to there and he was an EMT. He heard the noise, he runs out of his house with his flashlight, finds his car, finds this guy bleeding to death quickly. Holds his artery together, no cell phones, till daylight, till someone finds them and takes them to the hospital. I have a newspaper clipping of my grandfather in the hospital with the story being told. Still didn't know the Lord. Got to live another day and then get married, procreate, have my mom, and then I was born later. There's two little stories of one person's life that was supernaturally protected. My dad, other side of the family V there, um, he's an electrician. He was a young electrician by himself, uh, crawled underneath a house with a long extension cord and was drilling underneath the floor uh, in an unoccupied home. And as he was drilling, 
there was some sort of, I don't know what type of thing was going on, but the breaker didn't trip and he was being electrocuted. I don't know what he drilled into or something like that, but he, and I've been shocked like this before. When you get shocked electricity, your muscles tighten up and you can't let go. And so he was drilling, couldn't let go and he was being electrocuted. All inside he could do was say, help Lord, Jesus help. My dad does know the Lord. Prayed that prayer, it went on for a little bit, and then it just stopped. It took him a long time for his muscles to relax, where he could crawl out of there, crawls out, and there was the extension cord that had been pulled from the wall. No explanation, no reason. Again, this was before he was married or before I was born. So there are just three stories in my life of just two generations ahead of me, in the one generation ahead of me, of my life being spared in the sense of getting Matt Peterson, getting to live because of something that happened supernaturally over protection over my grandfather and over my, over my dad. Myself, since I've been alive and before I got married and we had these children, I missed, uh, well, I, I was on the roof of an embassy. I used to work for the government. And I was on the roof of an embassy when a, a huge bomb went off. Um, killed 300 soldiers. Uh, it was actually, no, 60 soldiers. It was a 300-pound bomb. And then I missed another bomb that killed, it was a, a near miss. Kill, killed the naval admiral in this country I was in. I was supposed to get on a helicopter one day in 1994 in Eastern Europe. And I changed my mind the last minute and went to a castle tour instead. And that helicopter crashed, killed everybody on board. It was super sobering when I got back to my hotel and realized that that one decision at the last moment changed a whole lot. Where I got to, got to survive. I don't understand all those things, but that's just a, just a handful of stories. What about you? What about your life? What about the generations before you? How many near misses do you think have happened? You know, we're driving all over the place. You have no idea how many times the Lord's protecting you, your vehicle, things that are going on that we don't even know about. I think that's some of the stories we'll get to hear in heaven. Our banged up angels saying, oh my goodness. And let me tell you about what I did for you one day. And you don't even know about it. Right? So when you were born, whatever your birth date is, anybody born in July? We have any July birthdays in here? We have several. The day you were born was not your start. Was it your beginning? I don't know if you ever think about these are the kind of things I think about. You started way back because of some of the things I was just talking about. Started with Adam and Eve, right? We know that. And then from there came all these people and then a lot of them got wiped out except for Noah and then his three sons, Japheth, Shem, and Ham, which all of us are related to. Every one of us in this room were related to one of those three. And then before that to Noah and then to Adam and Eve, right? So 
from Japheth, Shem, or Ham came these tree, this tree of family. God's all about family. And all of a sudden these people were being born and it's going this way and that way. And it gets all the way to you. I've, what I've, what I think is that there are probably around 150 generations between you and Adam and Eve. Somewhere in there. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. That's a lot of grandparents you have. A lot of sets of grandparents who lived. And you know what? They, we only know maybe three or four back. I know probably three, four, sometimes five or six. I've done a little bit of study and ancestry.com. So I've learned a little bit about my family history with some people. I know some names, but I really didn't get to know them, obviously. You've got family history goes way back. And if it's anything like Jesus' family history, which we know some about, you've got some real characters in your line. It's like I do. In fact, I know of, I've got cannibals in my line, not that far back, actually. Isn't that crazy? Have you ever heard of Donner's Pass? If you ever read the story of Donner's Pass, I had relatives in that, and they kind of ate the dead to stay alive. It was in the Sierra Mountains in California. Anyway, I broke that. But in these 150 generations going back, you've had all kind of people in your line. In Jesus' line, he had a prostitute, right? For you, we've probably got prostitutes. We've probably got slaves. For a while, a long time ago, 20% of the earth were slaves. Slavery has been around forever. So we've got slaves in everyone's history at some point. We've got prostitutes. We've got probably kings, maybe. Maybe perhaps a king. Peasants, farmers. We've got the, the mix. Merchant marine types, seamstresses, whatever you can think of probably is in your family line. Going all the way back. Maybe some murderers. Maybe some thieves. Maybe some prophets. Maybe some prayer warriors. Intercessors. Probably just the gamut in each of us. That's what Jesus had in his line. But through all of those people and the 150 or so generations from Adam and Eve to now, some remarkable things have happened to keep you, to get you here. Think of the close calls that they all had all the way through. All the way through. Uh, here's a couple of things. In the last, um, we'll just talk about the 20th century. In a 100-year period, the 1900s, 170 million people died in, from war. 170 million. Flu pandemics in the 1900s, 20 to 40 million. Then you've got diseases, earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, volcanoes, floods, famines. 10 million at a time in Asia in the 17 and 1800s died. Ethnic cleansings, murders, accidents, plagues. We know the Black Plague in the 1300s. A third of 
Europe died. How many of you have European descent? Several. A third of Europe died in the Black Plague. What's not talked about often is in the 500s, the Justinian Plague wiped out a quarter of Europe then. Doesn't matter what continent you came from, your family heritage is from, whether it's Africa or whether it's Europe or Asia. There have been huge problems and wars and tribal conflicts, diseases. We see it when working in Africa. We still see a lot of these diseases. They've been around for thousands of years, taking lives prematurely. Women dying in childbirth. Not uncommon at all in the developing world. Or our history. All of these things. But somehow, all of your ancestors, every single one of them, lived long enough to procreate to pass the torch of life to the next generation before they died. Whether they died giving birth or they died shortly after, maybe they lived another 50 years. But every single one made it long enough to procreate and pass that torch along to that next generation to run. It's pretty phenomenal. And Ecclesiastes talks about the silver cord. I don't know if you ever read about it. It's in Ecclesiastes 12.6. Sisters, it's a, it's a admonition to serve the Lord while your silver cord is attached. To me, it's a metaphor. The silver cord in biblical days was something attached to the ceiling that ran down and then it held this candle or oil lamp that lit up the room. And if that cord broke at any place along there, the lamp falls and the, the light goes out. It's basically a metaphor, I believe, for your life from Adam and Eve to you. All of your generations ahead of you. All of the ancestors before you. Had any one of them died prematurely before they could have procreated, your lamp would have never lit. You wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. The stats around you being alive are off the charts. That you would make it. That you would get to breathe. That you were birthed. Psalm 91 verse 7 says this. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. Obviously, that's a promise for us to hang on to in this life right now. But I also believe it speaks almost prophetically of the lives of all those before as the Lord was watching out over you. I can't help but believe that there are angels that have been taking care of the seed of who you would be for thousands of years. That's why life has such great value. Has huge value. True story, a friend of mine... He's a new friend. He leads a ministry uh, called Iran Alive. We um, broadcast all of our services in Winston-Salem to all of Iran in Persian all throughout the, all of the Middle East. I'm sure you guys know Susie and Cameron. They do similar. He, the guy who started the ministry, he shared this story with me. He was Muslim. He said he hated America. He hated Christianity. Had lots of hate, but yet he moved to America. I always find that interesting. 
And he was here and he said, I heard an ambulance go by the street. So I said to his wife, who was American, he said, man, I wonder what important person that ambulance is going to help. And she said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, ambulances only help important people. And she said, well, not in America. In America, even the poorest of the poor, you don't have to be a diplomat. You don't have to be a congressman to get an ambulance because we value life here. And that was the first thing in his mind that started to trigger something on the inside that there was something to Christianity, actually, of a value for life that Islam didn't have. Interesting. But life has incredible value. Much more than we typically, I would say, the world puts on it. It has huge value. Very short biology. When two people are together during conception, there's between 20 and 150 million sperm. 20 and 150 million. And it's like a race with a starting line and 150 million. It's actually a swim. Do you realize this? That the, the, the distance that sperm swim to reach the egg is four inches, which due to their size is the equivalent of a 40-mile swim for us, full size. It's a long way. It takes 10 hours. 10 hours for these 150 million sperm to go to the egg. And how many make it? One. One. Only one. And that one is different from all the rest of them. The DNA on the inside, the personality, all the things that are in there. So when that one makes it to the egg, bam, it's this unique individual at that moment. It's this unique combining of this individual with all the personality, all the DNA from every family member before them all meeting together and converging in this moment. And guess what? You were that one. So if you've never won anything, you're, you're believing a lie. You won the biggest race of all time. And you're just getting started. But you won that race. It had to be perfect. It had to be the perfect time. If it would have been maybe a couple days earlier or a couple days later, most likely it would not have been you. The timing of you being conceived is spectacular. And that you beat out 149,999,000 others. Then take that times every ancestor that you have. The timing for them to be born, absolutely perfect. Because if it would have been a different ancestor, just one of them, at any point along all the way back to Adam and Eve, guess what? You wouldn't be here. It had to be perfect. It was perfect every time, every year, all along the way, through wars, famines, plagues, all kind of craziness, for it to be you. So your mom carried you nine to ten months, and when she gave birth, as every mom does, they wait to hear for that cry. And when they hear that cry, it's like, oh. Yes, I remember that five times. Those days are some of my very favorite days of all my life. 
each one of our children being born. And that cry that's heard causes a mom's heart and a dad's heart to rejoice, to feel at peace, to be excited, all those things. I remember our first one, he had meconium in his lungs and he didn't breathe, so he didn't cry. And man, the nurses surrounded him. They're sticking stuff down there. They're sucking stuff out, trying to get him to breathe. And finally, when he, and I started saying Jesus out loud, I was praying, God help right now. And finally he took that breath and he let out that cry and it was awesome. But guess what? Your cry was the sound your mom was waiting to hear for nine to 10 months, but it was the sound your heavenly father had been waiting to hear for 6,000 years. You being born, the, that moment. Resources, angelic, angels, angelic help. Who knows what had gone into you getting there that day? And that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. Now you're alive. Then you get to live, which is another reason why abortion is so evil. Cause the, and so suicide. Because it takes out the very thing that God has spent so much resource. You want to know what your value is. Part of your value is directly attached to the ticket price to get you here. Which is a lot. Just to be born. Just to be alive. You have great value. More than you've ever considered. Your value is high. Your value is high. I remember being in... um, Budapest, Hungary, and walking down the street and seeing a a line of prostitutes. And a little child ran up to me, had little pictures. I was so, I was stunned, shocked. He said, you want a boy? You want a girl? You want a man? You want a woman? What what do you want? I I didn't know what to do with that. The thought that hit me was not one of these ladies, unless they were enslaved, of course, I don't know, but the value on their own life was so low. To devalue your own life so much that anybody can have you for some money. Boy, it just, it was sad. Broke my heart. If we could all see the value that God has on every single one of us. What's been paid for us. And then you add in the whole, this is just your natural person coming into being. And then you've got Jesus dying for you, as the Romans says, Before you were ever born, while you were yet dead in your sin, Christ died for each one of us. So you've got Jesus dying, God setting up this whole thing, sending his son to die and rise back from the dead and creating the church, his body, this group of his family purchased by his sacrifice, by his blood, set free to follow him with purpose. You got to the convergence of that spiritual birth and our natural birth. They've got to find each other while you're, li- while you're living, while you're breathing. And so God is wooing you by his spirit. And everyone in here, I'm guessing, at some point in your life, your heart was wooed, was touched, was open. You felt a knock on your door. You responded to what Jesus has done and now you are saved. And then you've got the full convergence of natural birth and spiritual birth. A double birth. What has taken amazing lengths on the spiritual side and amazing lengths on the 
natural side to happen. No wonder the angels rejoice when one person meets the Lord. And this great, great value. Your life and the power of, the, of God's love to do all of this for us. Why? Well, first off, it's love. God is love. He doesn't just have some. It's who he is. He is also the way and he's the truth. And out of this love, he has planned and purposed for you to be here, for you to be alive, for you to be filled with him. In him we live and move and have our being, but also says that he in us, that we are the same. First John four seventeen. as he is, so also are you in the world. Jesus said, well, I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But he said, I'm leaving. You are now the light of the world. What I've started, you will continue. What I have begun and this gospel of the kingdom that I begin to share, you are now to share it. You're now part of the family. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. You're healed. You're whole. And you get to do some fun stuff from here on out. And it's going to be hard, but I'll be with you. It's going to be really difficult and you won't understand a lot of things, but that's okay. You have purpose. See, purpose is huge and it is real. And I know that people get so jaded. Christians get so jaded. I've been around a lot of believers my whole life. And I can't tell you how many. I don't know that I could count on the the people who have fallen away from following the Lord. The people who have lost faith. The people who don't believe necessarily in purpose any longer from God. Or the uniqueness. Or the power and the deity of Jesus any longer. You strip all that away. Then the value goes to nothing all over again so sad and it's usually from being jaded having expectations that are unmet and so you throw everything away deconstruct entirely until you have zip and you're just like the world horrible that's what the enemy wants he wants everyone to just deconstruct everything where you've got nothing left and we're just exactly like the world when god is this incredible value and truth and life and you are the light of the world So you have great purpose. When you touch someone's life, whether it's encouragement, whether it's sharing your testimony or the gospel or praying for someone, in one sense, there's a joining and a convergence of everything that God has done all along the way to get you here that is ministering to those people. Because in a sense, also, we're standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, right? We really are. In fact, in Hebrews, it says... That those in in Hebrews chapter 11, they died without seeing the completion of what they believed for. But through us, they're watching it now. They're watching the completion of what God put on their heart. They started. They didn't get to see it happen. But somehow, I believe, they're watching now. And as we do things, as we step out, as Daniel said in Daniel chapter 11, know God and take action display strength, it's as if they are there with us, in a sense. Spiritually, it's not a weird thing. It's just reality. It's incredible. So you have great purpose. Don't let go of the purpose that God has for you life. Even if you haven't seen things work out the way you hoped they would work out. Don't abandon ship because 
of expectations that are dashed. Everybody has them. I look at the disciples in the Bible. And I think the last time I was here, I talked about some of this. They, they had set in their mind what things were going to be like. Okay, we're going to all be sitting next to Jesus on the thrones. I get this. I want to sit the closest. Talk to mom. Mom, can you go talk to Jesus about maybe getting me closest to, and then we're going to do all this and we're going to be, you know, this is going to happen soon. Well, none of that happened. So that when it was time for Jesus to get crucified, they all split. Boom. They have a moose. They were gone. Because this was not happening like they thought it was going to happen. They left. And then some went fishing. They left ministry and went back to what they used to do. Because it's a lot safer to do stuff you used to do rather than follow Jesus. So that's what they did. They went and started fishing again. Well, they didn't have a pole. It was a net. And then Jesus goes to them. I love that. He doesn't give up on them. He doesn't give on, up on us. He goes to where we are. He went to where they were. And he called them all over again. The exact same words that he said to Peter three and a half years earlier. Come follow me. He repeats those same words again. He says, Peter, get back on the horse. Come on, bro. We can do this. Follow me. Keep your eyes on me, not on how you hope things will turn out. If our eyes are on how we hope things will turn out or what we expect, we will be disappointed. But if our eyes are on Jesus all the way through, he will do beyond what we can ask or think. But it's going to be different than what we think or ask. That's just how it works. I want to tell you another short story and then I'll, I'll be done here in a minute. And the reason... Again, why I'm sharing this is that I pray that our perspective would be fresh and real and our life, it's not just another day, it's not just a Sunday, it's, a, it's, this is incredibly special that we get to be breathing air right now, that we get to be alive, that we get to know Jesus, that we get to be carriers of the spirit of God. And that we have purpose that he has planned. Not my great ideas of what I'd like to have happen. He has purpose for us. I remember stumbling into that. See, this is one of the beautiful things about God. Is when we follow him and surrender, then we can't screw it up. And that used to be my greatest fear. I thought I was going to screw up and marry the wrong woman. And screw up and not fulfilled the purpose of God for my life. And so I was trying to focus on being perfect and doing everything rather than focus on Jesus, who's the author and perfection of my faith. And I had to, he had to correct me in some of that. What a striving perfect, for perfection does, it gets you all anxious and stressed out. And I had some of that. But the Lord helped me stumble into doing some things that I had no idea about. And some of you heard this story too, but years ago, I'll show you a picture in a second when I had dark hair. We were newly going to Africa, providing clean drinking water. We crossed the border into Tanzania this day. I was with my friend Pat, who's been with us uh, in the beginning, starting this endeavor of, of helping people. It was a long story. It goes into all of it. I won't go into that. But as we were in Tanzania... We had a hydrogeologist there and he had this piece of equipment and he had it on the ground and it's got these probes that are stuck in the ground and it's sending signals down the ground to find out where the water is so we can dig or drill. 
And so he's doing that, and I'm standing over here watching, and a bunch of African men surround this machine. It's kind of what's going on in the village, so they want to know what, you know, never seen anything like this. The women are working, of course. That's what happens in East Africa. West Africa is different. But the women do all the work in East Africa, or most of the work, I should say. And these, this hydrogeologist is working, and I'm standing there talking with my friend Pat, and all of a sudden I see this older African man walking toward me. He's about this tall. And uh, he walks straight toward me. The guys are over here, and he just glares at me as he walks by. And I could see in his eyes like this hatred. I thought, man, what is all that about? He walks past me, doesn't say anything, goes over towards these guys. Then he starts saying things out loud, and everybody turns around, and they're looking at us. Then he just says something else, and they start laughing. He says something else, they start laughing even more. And I, I asked uh, the guy working with us, his name's Jackson, who speaks the local language. I said, hey, Jackson, uh, what's that old guy saying? He said, he's making fun of you, sir. And I did something that I would never teach anybody else to do. So this is not like evangelism 101 or anything like that. But what happened in the, on the inside of me is that I got provoked. So I said to Jackson, I said, Jackson, could you go talk to him for a second and ask him two questions? Well, first, actually ask him one question, but say this to him. Say, you're very old and you may die soon, which you normally should never say something like that. That's what came out of me. Tell him he's very old and he may die soon. And you don't actually see very many older, elderly people in this village because a lot of them die from a lot of things way before they get to that age. And then ask him if he knows Jesus. So Jackson said, are you sure you want me to say that? I said, yeah. So he goes over there, talks to this guy. And next thing I know, they're conversing and then they start walking back toward us. They get back to us and here's this, here's this guy. And Jackson tells me, no, he, he doesn't know Jesus. He wasn't offended by him saying he was old and he may die soon. He doesn't know Jesus. He's been serving the gods of this world that uh, were taught in his village. And so the conversation kind of goes on and there was no preaching. There was no sharing of Jesus necessarily. Um, I remember talking about some a little bit about, he said, that he couldn't change. And I talked about you could change and be someone different than you, than you are. And this conversation went on just a little bit. And then he, he looked at me and he said, um, if I'm going to change, you have to come to my house. So I said, okay. And on the way there, he said, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a witch doctor and I'm in charge of the female circumcision in this whole village, which is a horrible, barbaric, thing that's actually illegal, but they still do it. I thought, oh my goodness. We get to his little house and it's about 10 by 10. It's dark. There's a little mattress on the floor. Everything's nasty, dirty, filthy. There's no light, no electricity, no bathroom. And we get in there and he said, "Uh, what would you like me to do? I thought, well, I said, could you get everything related to your witchcraft and put it in the middle of the floor? So he just starts doing it. 
starts pulling these weird little limbs and stuff off the wall, big bottles of oil and knives and machetes and all this stuff. He puts it all in a big pile. And I thought to myself, this is way too easy. Way too easy. I've talked to Muslims for hours. I've talked to other people for hours, Jehovah's Witnesses, and hardly made any progress. This guy, I've hardly even said anything about Jesus, and he's asking me about changing and what what I like him to do. So I'm ready for the other shoe to fall, to drop. And then, after he piles it all together, he's waiting for the next thing to do, he looks at me and he said, he said, you, you've been coming to me in my dreams. And I thought, oh boy. I said, what, what happens in, in the dream? He said, you come to me in my dream and you take me and you put me underwater. And then you bring me back up again. And that's what I thought. It was like, oh my goodness. I now know why this is so easy. Because it has nothing to do with anything I've done. God has set this whole thing up. He set this whole thing up. So Jackson, the same guy, says to me, can I, can I share Jesus with him now? I said, yes. So he shares the gospel with him. I see this little man, this little witch doctor, falls to his knees right on the floor. We did the same. And he starts repenting and giving his life to Jesus. We all are weeping, crying, praying for him. Stands back up, and I said to Jackson, where is their water? Because we haven't provided any there yet. And he said, it's across the border, back in Kenya. I said, well, let's go. It's the closest water source. So we pull in our vehicle. We go across the border to Kenya. There's this little creek. I can show you the picture. You can put that one up. There's this little creek. And they tell you, you know, see, there's the dark hair. I'm the one on the left. That's my friend Pat on the right. They tell you in, in Africa, you know, not to walk around with bare feet because of little worms and stuff that may bore under your skin and all. I thought, I don't care about any of that stuff. I'm getting wet. So Pat and I rolled up our pant legs. His name is Moita. Moita's standing there. I shared with him what, what, what baptism is, what he saw in his dream. We sat him on his rear, little toe sticking up there in the water. I forgot to explain to him, because he's never seen a baptism before, that you're supposed to close your mouth. So he went under like this. Water poured in. Went, <coughs> he coughed it out. And he stood up and he had, the other picture I couldn't find this morning, he's got his hands raised. As soon as he comes out of the water and he says to me, this is just like my dream. Wrapped, actually we didn't have a towel or anything, he was soaking wet. Gave him a hug, gets in our vehicle soaking wet. We're headed back to his house. I said, Moita, I got to ask you. Um, I said, how long have you been having this dream? And he said, I've had it many times and they don't keep a good, often uh, a they have no idea when they were born or time. It doesn't always, it's always clear. He said, I start having um, the dream as soon as I join the other men with the witchcraft. I have no idea what that means. But it sounded like it was a long time ago. At this point, I was about 40 years old. And I'm guessing, this is a guess, that maybe around the time I was born, he started having a dream of me as a full-grown person dunking him in water, pulling him back up again. And he kept having it over and over and over. So that at that one moment when he sees me and it 
hits him, this is the guy from the dream. And he responds. And I said, Moita, I said, when was the last time you had the dream? And he said, I had it last night. Now that is God doing something supernatural beyond my anything. I'm not smart to figure any of this stuff out. I'm just there. I'm just there and believing God wants to do something in this country and we're trying to help and all of a sudden I stumble into some sort of something out of time that God has been setting up for a long time. And this man gets saved. He gets free. His eyes were clear in a half an hour from the moment I met him to this. His eyes are clear. He doesn't have that anger, that bitterness. We went back later and Got a chance to talk with him some more. Got to give him a new... He wanted a new name. He was actually angry with us because we didn't rename him right off the bat. But I'm saying all this to say not to brag on me because honestly, I was just along for the ride. But here is the thing. God allowed me to be born. He pursued me by his spirit. I remember meeting Jesus at seven years old. I can remember the day when I felt the weight of sin. It sounds strange. I felt it. My dad sharing Jesus with me and feeling that burden lift. Having this relationship with Jesus that I've had since that day, 45 years ago. And then he does things like this. We stumble into things that he has planned because there's great purpose and value for your life and for other lives that you're here to touch, to be a light to. Just by being in the morning, Look in the mirror going, the spirit of God lives on the inside of me. Who knows what's going to happen today? And then looking for others to touch, looking for others to give to, looking for others to speak to, looking for someone to love, to help, to minister to. You have no idea what God's going to do. I want to pray for you. Then I want to show you a very short video. It's like a minute and a half. Lord, thank you for everyone here today, for their lives that have huge value beyond what we can honestly comprehend. Thank you, Father, that you love us so much that you would send Jesus and that you would cause us to be alive, that you would give us life, that you'd give us breath, that you'd give us family. And then the millions of other things around that from air to drinking water and children and cars and homes. And thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for all you have done. And Lord, I pray for anyone in here today who has felt maybe jaded slightly or felt some sort of like a an insulation between them and you, some sort of insulation between them and their purpose, or an excitement about being alive, or a joy about their salvation. Lord, I ask that you would rip out that insulation in Jesus' name, that you re- remove any separator, any jadedness, anything that co- has come and landed and tried to create space that's not of you so that we are not fully alive on the inside. Lord, I pray for your full life, that abundant life that you talked about. You also said this, Jesus, that those that believe in you, rivers of living water would flow from us. So Lord, anyone in here doesn't feel a river flowing in them, Lord, that the reality of your river would flow, that the smile would return, that the joy would be reignited, that dreams would take place again. Everything of religion would be flushed. Everything of dashed expectations would be forgotten and and forgiven. As we look at you afresh and say, Jesus, come alive all over again on the inside of me. 
May your spirit lead me in your ways and do what you've purposed me to do with this life that you've given me. In this short life, it's like a vapor, James said. May it have an impact for every single one in here. Lord, I bless them, I pray for them and say thank you, God, for their lives. Thank you for what's ahead. Thank you for tomorrow. Thank you for next week. Thank you for how you're gonna use them. And thank you, Jesus, that none of this is about us. It's all about you. It's about your great name. Make your name great through us, Lord. Make your name magnificent through our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, that story I told you was about uh, Moeda, and that uh, has to do with what we, a part of what we do with Hydrating Humanity, which is the organization that uh, I lead where we drill wells in Africa, where we also provide hygiene education, and we show the Jesus film. We show the Jesus film to 20,000 people a year. Uh, with Hydrating Humanity, we just finished our, I think, 830th, 825th, 830th well. So we give clean water to over 300,000 people every day now. It's pretty amazing. Some of you have been around. John Mark was around the beginning when we were, uh, he did an album with, you know, for us. And we were just starting out, and uh, we're so grateful for what the Lord has done through it. But you can be a part too. In fact, this church is. You've just, uh, you, you may not know this, but you just paid for your second Queen City Church well, which is amazing. Yes, it really is. It's awesome. So thank you for doing that. You guys already play a part in this as a church. But if you wanted to be a part as individually, it's super easy. $25 a month gives one person clean drinking water and the gospel for life. For life, for their entire life. So every month at $25, which you can give more than that too. Um, but each $25 amounts to one person for the rest of their life can have clean drinking water. It's a life changer. I just got back from there a few couple of months ago. Well, I guess it's three or four now. And um, it still gets me all fired up every time I go and see the impact of what a little bit of money does. Super easy to sign up, then you never have to think about it again. Uh, but we'll send you reports to show you pictures of kids and parents and people that uh, get disease-free and hopeful. So the short video about that, and uh, thanks for uh, listening today. Bless you guys. I was in Tanzania sitting on my balcony, and I looked over the balcony and caught eyes with a young man who ran up to me and said, give me water. One of the crisis situations in the world is the waterborne disease crisis. There are just under 700 million people on the planet that lack access to safe, clean drinking water. Right now, there are about 2,000 children a day under the age of five that die due to waterborne diseases. That's the equivalent of about 75 school buses full of kindergartners that perish every single day. What we do at Hydrating Humanity is provide access to safe, clean drinking water. We provide hygiene education. We have indigenous people on the ground who are doing this work, who are helping change the lives of hundreds of thousands of people every day.
we get to play a part. We get to have a role in changing this right now, helping villages have safe, clean drinking water for the first time in their history. Thousands of tens of thousands of years never had clean drinking water. We can provide that for them right now. I invite you to be a part of this with us by joining One Tribe. One Tribe is a community of generous people that give every month, month in and month out. 100% of your gifts fund clean water projects in Africa and are tax deductible. You can make a difference. Join One Tribe today. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 